This episode of The Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. As a cyclist, you ride your bike, you stay in shape, and you take care of your body. So Health IQ believes your healthy lifestyle should be rewarded with lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com paceline, and find out just how much your riding can save you. Once again, that's healthiq.com paceline. And now, onto the program. On the show, fat and caffeine. We find out how to turn a bag of nuts, a food processor, and a bike ride into a tasty company. I'm on a mountain bike ride, and I'm eating an energy gel. And I was frustrated because I wasn't craving sugar. I was craving protein. And nobody was doing nut butter in a squeeze pack. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. And as kids, what was more enjoyable than drinking soda and riding bikes? One group has a word of caution. If you're a student and you're about to race and you're looking for a quick fix to maybe get a little ahead, to be a little faster, and you reach for uh, a soda, then that, that's a, a decision that may lead to um, uh, bigger problems down the road. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number 51. I'm going to turn 51 in about, what, five months now? Wow. What do you think of that? Uh, well, this show has gone quicker than your life has. <laughs> I think this is also going to be the last time that I refer to the number for a while, because until we get close to 100, it starts, I mean, between <laughs> now and then, there's we're running out of interesting things to say about numbers with 50 behind us. I'm Eldon better known as Fatty, and with me is Patrick Brady, the editor-in-chief of Publisher and publisher of Red Kite Prayer, which is where you can find the links, photos, and whatnot for this show. And of course, you can always find the show itself on Google Play and Stitcher and SoundCloud and most importantly, iTunes. Speaking of which, do us a favor and pause this episode right now, unless you're driving, in which case, please keep your hands on the wheel, eyes on the road, <laughs> and go to iTunes. Give us a nice big fat five-star rating then come right back. We it love you. Don't die. <laughs> we'll wait. Okay. Waiting's over. And also, I should say, <laughs> Michael Houghton is with us right now um, in the house. for this episode. Yeah, Hottie, welcome. Hello, hello. <laughs> I wish I had your voice. Um, so Michael has a great interview, and so uh, he was able to, I guess, put off his ride for the day. And is going to join us to introduce an interview. So stick around for that. Be nice to have a good voice here for a little while. But before that, I want to talk about a pretty serious issue. And that is theft. Specifically, theft of your bike gear. And even more specifically, theft of your bike clothing. Because this has been a serious problem for me. Wait, what? What are, you, what are you doing? Are you like taking your dresser and sticking it outside your house or something? What what are you I'm what not. are you even talking about? <laughs> well, let me set it up for you. So, it it's not so much a problem for me as it is for my wife. She cannot currently find a single pair 
of mountain biking gloves. Not a single pair. She had several a couple of months ago. Several pair. Now can't find a single one. Her favorite jerseys and her Rafa bib shorts, and those aren't cheap, have disappeared. Oh. And, and this is the most serious of these. Last weekend, we went to St. George for some, uh, you know, for some high desert mountain biking in the middle of the winter. We take our mountain bikes off the off the rack, off the uh, Kuat rack. I just thought I'd throw a plug in there because I love my rack. <laughs> and we're getting ready to go for a ride, and lo and behold, the pedals are missing off of her bike. <laughs> <laughs> what do these three things have in common? Um, blood relatives? Blood relatives is exactly right. So I, I'm curious if this has happened to other people. So he, he, the answer to all of these riddles is, of course, that my wife and her daughter, my stepdaughter, who we could call the monster because she is such an incredibly strong rider after just like one and a half seasons, are exactly the same height, use the same kind of pedals, same body build, and my wife has lots and lots of great cycling clothes, and she does not, and she lives about an hour away and likes to ride, and suddenly my wife is having an awfully difficult time finding stuff. Does this happen to anyone else, or is this just, <laughs> uh, is this just happening to my family? Has that ever happened to you? Nope. Nope, nope. <laughs> I mean, I have I have gifted pieces of clothing that I realized, oh, you know, uh, these tights would fit you because I have a great big fat ass and you're just a woman. Um, so, like, I gave her some tights, you know, and I've given her some shorts and whatnot, but uh, she has never just appropriated <laughs> any of mine. Appropriation and, and she, she would. A- She's not a wrench turning type, so she's not going to take pedals off a bike. That that is not going to happen. Well, see, here, here's where it, it actually does get a little bit crazier because Melissa's not so much of a, a of a wrench turning type either. But being a college age student, well, a college student who is, uh, I mean, very obviously a good looking girl, very athletic, and bikes. She is an incredibly attractive property. Property property is the exact wrong word. She is an incredibly attractive person to the five thousand mountain bikers who are males, right? At the right. University of Utah, right? She's like one of three strong mountain biking women there, and so they are all just glomming onto her. So she has no trouble at all finding someone who is happy to take the pedals off of her mom's bike so that they can go mountain biking with her. So (laughs) (laughs) what was that conversation like? Oh, well, there was a phone call from, we have had the reckoning. (laughs) We have had the reckoning now, right? Yeah. Wait, wait, Uh, Yeah, back to St. George. What happened when you discovered the pedals were gone? Did you just drive home? No, no. See, we brought our mountain bikes and our road bikes and we were like, well, we were going to go mountain biking, but it looks like we're going road biking. And we went on an awesome uh, road bike uh, ride up uh, Snow Canyon Park. Um, so it, it was still a good day of riding. And then by the next day, we had thought it through a little bit. And we borrowed some pedals off of a friend's bike as well as uh, that friend's shoes are approximately the same size as my wife's. And she just had to ratchet them down a little bit 
and we were able to make a decent ride out of it. Okay. So, I mean, we, we were able to figure things out. But yeah, there was there were a couple of conversations uh, that happened there. But I, we're still trying to solve this problem, the problem okay. of interfamily theft. Yeah, and so speaking of reckonings, um, has there now been a reckoning with the uh, uh, believed uh, culprit? Um. Oh, Lisa and Melissa are, and yes, those are their real names. So there you go. Um, they uh, they talk all the time, and Lisa is like, "You stole my gloves," and Melissa's like, "I know," and, and it's about that. Easy. <laughs> it's about that simple. <laughs> and um, oh, it was funny. Is during that weekend, I get a photo of the two of of um, Melissa with one of her writing buddies, I won't say boyfriend, but it's, I don't know what the relationship is, but I, I get a photo of them and she's wearing Lisa's long sleeve, uh, Jersey. And he's wearing one of mine Ooh. as well as like my hood, you know, my, my cold weather cycling ninja mask thing. And I'm like, it's starting to happen to me too. And so I, I asked Lisa, I was like, Hey, She's still in my stuff now. <laughs> and Lisa's like, no, I told her she could use that. I'm like, it's not yours. <laughs> so yeah. we're, we're, th- there's definitely, definitely some, uh, some reckoning that's happening. And so I thought I'd go ahead and air all that dirty laundry right here on the podcast. How about that? <laughs> Let's just get the tide out. Yeah. Um, you know, no, it's funny. I We talk. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, we actually, Lisa and I talked about this during, uh, during breakfast today. And I think I actually understand how this, how this came about. And it comes, it goes back to basically, how did you grow up? And what was your family, you know, who has borrowed stuff in your, in your life? I grew up with four sisters. And so for all I know, they may have been stealing stuff and taking stuff from each other all the time, but I was never a part of that because they didn't want my stuff as the one boy in the group, right? And also the one person in my family with no taste. Um, <laughs> and, but, and, you know, and then I married into this thing where, you know, Lisa and Melissa, they've been, you know, they've been taking each other's clothes because I see Lisa wearing Melissa's clothes all the time too. So it's not like it's a one-way theft thing. Theft okay. is an, a common and expected part of of the way they live. It's just a what was your culture? You know, how did you? What are you used to? So, so I'm you're still saying not they sure have a the communal uh, wardrobe. I guess so. <laughs> I I'm not. <laughs> yeah. so my father it, and I didn't do I that. No, no. My dad and I are the same size too, and I never borrowed any of his clothes. I, oh well, my dad um, was bigger. No better taste than I do. Still, I just—it never even would have occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of yeah. It's it's funny. I I don't think that there is a solution. However, I have made it clear. I was like, there are a few certain jerseys that I gave to Lisa that I think of as important jerseys, like when we went to. France with um with the touring group that jersey and you know the jersey we got there that is regarded as sort of like a special uh totem it's a keepsake. So this that that's a keepsake I don't want you borrowing that yeah and I th- and she's totally cool with that I just have to be real specific so 
There we go. Thank you for that therapy session, Doctor. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny that you bring this up because um, I have two young boys. And there's going to come a point sometime in the future when they're not going to be young boys anymore. And, I mean, I've kidded about, you know, I, I hope they both end up being 5'11 so that I can give, you know, one of my handmade steel bikes to one and the other handmade steel bike to the other. You know, I see them both. As, oh, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, the reality is one of them is probably going to be really close to my height and the other is going to be three or four inches off. You know, and it's like, oh, <laughs> dude, <laughs> sucks to be no, you. you um, no, no. The guy who who is taller or shorter than you has it good because he's going to get all new stuff. The other <laughs> one's going to regard him his luck as bad because he's getting nothing but hand-me-downs. You may be right about that, and that will crush me. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we don't have to put my heart in tatters just yet. Um, but, yeah, I'm aware that, like, in the meantime, like, yeah, great pairs of bib shorts are likely to go missing sometime around, I don't know, 2032. Um, yeah, there's going to there's gonna come a point when, yeah, favorite biz. It's not even going to be that long with one of them, I suppose. Um, you know, another 10 years, maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah, bibs will go missing. Great jackets will go missing. Um, but if he's anything like he is now, he will never cop to it. He will never yeah. admit it. It, it, it. This will not be a communal, be a communal wardrobe. wardrobe. So it's something to look forward to, no question about it. I think we're going to leave it there for yeah. right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'd love to hear from our listeners. What, do you have people who are the same size in your family who are taking your biking stuff? And does it bother you? A question for the ages, no question. Let's yeah. go ahead and take a quick break, and then we're going to get fat. And also, we're going to get seriously hardcore about caffeine, but not in the way that you expect. That's coming up next on The Faceline. Baseline is brought to you by Health IQ, which sources discounted rates on life insurance. When I went looking for life insurance after my son was born, I realized I wasn't getting any credit for my fitness gained through cycling. Now there's a company that helps you get better rates for life insurance. Whether you ride or engage in other aerobic activities, Health IQ. They've negotiated lower rates with big insurance uh, insurers like New York Life because it's known that people who are fit have a 45% lower cancer risk, an 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. We've got a special landing page for Paceline listeners at healthiq slash Paceline. Drop by there and you can see the research, see testimonies, and check out their quizzes. There's a link in our show notes. And now, back to our show. Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome back, Patrick and Fatty, of both of Red Kite Prayer fame, because we're both very famous people. I think we've mentioned that before. And right. we want you all to treat us as if we are. And this is the part where we have interviews with actual smart people, people who know what they're talking about. And that would definitely include Michael Houghton. Hottie, how are you doing, man? Yeah, but the interview's not with me, so I'm not the smart person here. 
It'll, it'll be with someone. But else. you are a smart people. That's right. You're you're a smart person <laughs> having an interview with another smart person. Well, that just sealed it. You're a smart people. That's right. <laughs> excellent, excellent English as always, guys. Uh, this segment, uh, folks, is dedicated to the one and only Fatty because a lot of us uh, have been following your weight loss challenge, Fatty. And anyone who's tried to lose weight knows this can be deeply a deeply frustrating process. Now, if I'm following oh, this yeah. correctly, Fatty, you and two others are engaged in some type of weight loss battle that's being played out on social media. That's right. Every day where we're each posting our weight on Facebook, I'm down to 172 pounds from my January 2nd weight of 179. So and, seven pounds so far. And okay. how is this going to get sorted out? Who is it a percentage of, is it a body fat percentage loss or who, who's the winner here? Uh, well, we're all winners if we get to our goal, um, but we each have till April 1st to get to our stated uh, race weight. And uh, we each just said what that race weight was. And it was up to your, to yourself as to which, uh, what your numbers were going to be. So, got it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm on my way to 157. The other guys are on their way to whatever they said. I. I, I don't really keep track. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rest of us have been. We've been watching. And uh, what if what if someone said to you this? The best way to lose weight is to eat more fat. I would believe them. Um, I actually <laughs> am uh, going very heavily toward the uh, high protein and lots of good fats mm -hmm. uh, as far as the way that I am eating right now and only picking up carbs when I am doing multi-hour uh, cycling efforts. Right. A lot of coaches and, and dietitians actually are suggesting that a higher fat diet is indeed a great strategy. The strategy in general terms is to cut most of the carbs as fatty has done and some of the protein. So maybe you cut back some of your protein fatty and replace those calories with fat calories. This is sometimes called a ketogenic diet where the body becomes so used to and so good at burning fat that the athlete ends up with a high level of ketones. Ketones are the byproduct of fat burning. And what people on this diet report is that they have a consistent level of energy and no longer need those constant feedings throughout the day. Some of the traditional approaches to dieting has been, oh, eat five or six small meals a day. People on ketogenic diet say, no, no, I eat twice or three times a day. I load up on the fats. Uh, everything else is, is pretty small portions. For the athlete on a ketogenic diet, especially those in, in distance events like you love to do, Fatty, it means they require less fuel during their event because their body is so good at burning it fat. So instead of trying to pound down three or four gels per hour, it's maybe one uh, and, and some hydration. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But the diet, the ketogenic diet, is pretty extreme. It takes a lot of guts, no pun intended, to, to get down to the carb levels that are usually prescribed in this diet. And that's about 50 grams a day. That's like a couple slices of bread. So there's yeah. almost no carbohydrates involved in a ketogenic diet. You have to be militant about it too. You really have to stick to it to get your body to make this conversion where it's suddenly burning ketones all the, t all the time. So what some people turn to is called uh, a, fat a fat adaptation diet. It's still low carb. It kind of sounds like what you're doing. Still low carb, but not as extreme. And the athlete tries to time their carbs, like you're doing, Fatty, to just before mm -hmm. or just after races and workouts. 
Uh, the athlete also works very hard at turning themselves, their bodies, into a fat-burning machine via tons of uh, you know aerobic work. Something a, a buddy of mine, Bob Forster, who's at Phase 4 um, for athletes, uh, he's worked with Allison Felix. He calls it becoming a better butter burner. So you turn your body into this fat-burning <laughs> machine. But there's still a decent concentration of fat in the diet. So fat-adapted, ketogenic, all this push towards more fat. So eat fat to burn fat. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but with a name like Fatty, you should be able to handle that. You know, I, I and I am working toward it, and I have a really good friend who has successfully used this. Uh, an interesting side effect is he actually uses a home breathalyzer to gauge how well he is doing at his diet. Um, I guess the bad side effect of that is uh, if he's ever pulled over, he's going to show as having a high uh, a high rate uh, because ke- uh, ketones uh, register a lot like alcohol do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he, he could show as a DUI when he hasn't, uh, I believe, ever had a drink. Right. Um, so he's, yeah, c- kind of funny that way. But he, uh, I think three years ago now, um, uh, went on this. He dropped well over 50 pounds and has kept it off. He does several Ironmans uh, every year. Does the bit, you know, he's done Leadville uh, on basically cream cheese and bacon uh it's you know the way that he works and he's he's done it so i mean and um my stepson is actually go uh who's doing leadville for the second time this year he is making a serious weight loss effort and to do lead and, and using this plan uh or an adaptation of it uh to get to his uh weight and fitness this year so yeah it's a, it's popular and it seems to be gaining a lot of traction mm-hmm. One of the great fats to make part of your diet, if you're into this, would be nuts or nut butters, more importantly, which gets me to our interview today. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Justin's, makers of the almond butter? I love Justin's. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I I buy a lot of Justin's (laughs) products. Their almond butter, I think, is the best thing in the whole world. Oh, you're out of your mind. The maple peanut butter, dude. Come on. Oh, let's not fight, man. They're both good. <laughs> All up that one, the hazelnut spread is delicious. Very good. Justin's is a Justin Gold of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, as a vegan, he's a very interesting story. I've met him back in the summer at Interbike. As a mm. vegan, he started making his own nut butter. And when his roommate started dipping into it, he put his name on the jar. Justin's. <laughs> Hence, you have the Justin's nut butters now. Uh, compliments That's a great backstory. Yeah, compliments and word of mouth led him to farmers markets where he sold jars of his nut butters. He then uh, came up with the individual packs, which are really cool for cyclists, which led to more people trying his product because it was a cheaper way. Almond butter is expensive, so it was a cheaper way for them to try almond butter. And then there was portion control, control with the packets. The problem with nut butters is. You open the jar and grab a spoon, and suddenly you've got 500 calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, then came the specialty grocery stores, started carrying them. The next big thing was his candy. He came up with these Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, that product what? also took off. Yeah, they're delish too. And that product caught the attention of Starbucks. Bamo. Justin had hit it big time. So Justin was uh, on a serious upward trajectory with what started out as probably a food processor and a bag of nuts. 
and a and a sharpie <laughs> wow. writing his yeah. name on the jars. The founder had to turn to equity partners for capital to get things growing some more. Firm out of San Francisco helped guide the company for five years, but Justin's eventually outgrew the firm, and even bigger companies started taking notice. Just before Interbike, in fact, this year, Justin's went with a new company, and it's a surprising one for a company like Justin's, a small little nut butter company. Hormel is now a wow. major investor in Justin's. They own Skippy, Muscle Milk, and Applegate, by the way. So Hormel is infusing a lot of money into Justin's. They're keeping it on the download because they know that you attach the Hormel name next to something as organic and pure and nice as Justin's, you might soil things. Yeah. I think of Hormel, I think spam. Right. You should. Yeah. Because they make <laughs> ham product. They make, you know, yeah. bacon and ham products. So uh, most of Justin's success happened prior to the company ever showing up at Interbike where I met him. But now the company is finding new opportunity with cyclists and, of course, endurance athletes. We caught up with Justin Gold, founder of Justin's, at the outdoor demo at Interbike. Your business had, had great growth. It's a great story. What, what was the turning point? Why did you say, I should be at Interbike? You know, a few things. Uh, first of all, I believe in that a great business is great balance. And, <clears throat> and if there's a way you can fuse something you're passionate about along with you know exposing a new market in a new category to your products it just seemed like a win-win I love cycling I love mountain biking I was really inspired to start the squeeze pack while on a mountain bike ride so for me to come full circle and to come and exhibit at Interbike just the demo days section where we can fuel a lot of athletes who are out there riding all day who need protein for you know for energy while they're riding and also get to ride bikes and then talk about my company and maybe pick up a few retailers or at the very least drive people to stores where we're sold seemed like a, a win-win. Yeah. So glad you brought up the word fuel because there seems to be a couple of camps. One of them is just two doors down from you. There's some guys down there who are all about glucose, all about putting that type of fuel in your body. What to you says... now? I think fat and protein is the way to go to fuel somebody's ride. Well, what is your yeah. What are your keys there? I, I think they're both really important, and for me, it's just it's having something different. And when I was I was mountain biking, and I was eating a lot of, of energy gels, but at, at that moment, I was craving protein. I was craving more of a, a longer lasting energy that was more satiating, and and I wanted to you know sit sit down and enjoy it. I wasn't in a rush. I was enjoying my mountain bike ride. And so I had the idea of creating a nut butter-based squeeze pack that really delivered on protein. And the whole idea was to, you know, sit down, put it on a banana, you know, put eat it right out of the pack and really get this sustainable protein source that I think is, you know, just serves a different market. Yeah. What I love about your product is it started in your kitchen, you with a, a food processor and a yeah. bag of nuts probably. That's what I see in my mind. And it's grown to this great thing, and now we're starting to see athletes put your pouches in their in their jersey pockets or in their baggy shorts or their camelbacks or what have you. Have you now gone back, though, to read the signs and gone, okay, what is it? Does, does fat work as fuel? Do you bother with the signs, or do you just go with your gut on this? That's a great question. So I haven't looked into the science, and it's probably where the company's going to evolve to, is to become, you know, a little more functional with our approach to innovation. Right now, I've, I've just been trying to create 
really great tasting products that are simple. I want, number one, I think we have to win on taste. People want to consume products that taste great. The second thing we need to win on is just nutrition and simplicity. People don't want to have to, you know, grab a lexicon to go through the nutritional nutritional panel or ingredient statement, and they want to, they want easily recognizable ingredients that are very few, but is very nutritious and very simple. And with nut butter, you know, we have three or four ingredients for all of our products. We keep it simple. We're not fortifying things to make it more functional because we just want to be the best nut butter that we can be. And people who are, who are athletes who are really looking into their health and wellness, they know that nut butters are a great source of energy and protein. And today, that's all we're doing is delivering a simple product. Down the road, we can be a little more functional, which require more science. But I haven't had the time to look into it because we've been just so busy. And now we're kind of getting into the indulgent side where we've done peanut butter cups, we might do another organic, better-for-you type of candy bar that's protein-based. And then we have this new snack pack. So getting into snacking, what's a more everyday, highly consumable type of snack that we can do that can, people can eat on the go? So I think protein delivery is really, at the end of the day, what we're all about. So a ketogenic athlete or a low-carb, high-fat athlete, all that stuff is foreign to you you just see nut butter it tastes good put it in your pocket a, a real real simple i just i just make make peanut butter peanut butter and almond butter real good yeah. real good no I, I i i just feel like we should stick to what we're really good at which is keeping it simple and i think down the road again something functional could be in our future but we have such a long runway with just simple food products and also it keeps the doors open for other companies that are creating innovative fortified nut butters and squeeze packs and i think that's great it, it's you know competition is great and and i think it just serves a different segment in the same category did uh, did the biking community seek you out or are you seeking them where's where's the traffic going what's what's the direction you know it, it's funny being in boulder colorado it, the triathlete community really discovered us and triathletes are so particular with their nutrition and their food that when they find something they're passionate about, they just blog and blog and tell their friends about it. And a lot of triathletes, when they travel, because they're doing events all over the country or the world, have a really hard time getting easily digestible, consistent protein. So our squeeze packs are a staple for so many triathletes who train in Boulder that they really discovered us. And then I think that because of our passion with cycling, and the triathletes help, and then the ease with the squeeze pack, everything just kind of came together. And, and we've become a really big cycle, part of cycling. But, uh, you know, we're not a, a cliff or a power bar type of brand. We're not a nutrition, sports performance brand. We're a food company that has a passion for the outdoors, right? Yeah. Justin, great talking with you and a great story. Keep it up. Oh, thank you. I hope to see you in more Jersey pockets. Ow! <laughs> Again, that was Justin Gold of <laughs> Justin's. And you notice now the, the vegan attitude a little bit. They look at nut butters, like almond butter, as protein and not fat. But, folks, uh, nut butters and nuts, are most of the calories are fats uh, mm-hmm. in that in those products. So uh, be careful what you're, you're looking for there, too, I would say. I especially love how those individual packs, though, guys, uh, I love stuffing them in my pocket, and they get warm back there. And when I tear one yeah. open— they're semi-melted and they squeeze out so nice. It's a, it's an instant treat, man. Because for me, you know, food is mood, and it, whether it be carbohydrates or a beer or what have you, 
if it puts you in a good mood, hopefully you're going to go out and have a better event, a better training ride, a better day. And sometimes that means, you know, going against the grain a little bit, right? I mean, look, uh, have a peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwich during the middle of Leadville Trail 100. Uh, if that's going to keep you going, go for it. Well, I'm, I, I have some I have some objections to that, <laughs> just because I, that would glue my mouth shut. But, <laughs> but at but least I, it would be bacon in point. it. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that. No, but I think that that's an excellent point, and I uh, I love uh, his attitude on well, what we're trying to do is make foods that taste great that are simple, and you know, it, it, I thought it was interesting that each of us has sort of a favorite. And I'm guessing that each of the favorites that we have, you know, the, whether it's a hazelnut chocolate or the uh, yours was the honey peanut butter. Uh, mine was just a straight up uh, almond butter that, you know, it's we each have our own preferences. But I think it's all coming down to just taste. It's, you know, hey, this is what I like. It's uh, what uh, scratches my itch. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos to them. Very Love much. seeing that. Grab cool. you some Justin's. It's good stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. So next up, uh, we've got an interview with Austin McInerney, the executive director of NICA. That's the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. They released a a statement just recently about an existing rule uh, on their books concerning caffeine. The idea with NICA is that in competition, you won't use caffeine uh, as a performance edge. And uh, Austin thought you know the time had come to uh kind of remind all the competitors of this and uh to explain the rationale and it's one of those things that i think um you know in an athlete's formative years uh it's a great chance to help shape their thinking on just what constitutes doping and so i thought it'd be interesting to get him on the phone and talk a little bit more about it austin welcome to the pace line well, thank you, Patrick. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, man. We got to get you back up here for another ride. Uh, yeah, sooner long. than later. We got one coming up here, I think, with the Grasshopper Adventure Series. If, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. Hopefully we'll both be in shape for that, though. So, that and not wash down the river. <laughs> yeah, that's a separate yeah. matter. Um, okay. So on to business. Now, I wanted to talk to you because I flashed on um, a fresh statement from you guys regarding caffeine use uh, by high school athletes in your races. Um, and I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like this has been an existing rule but perhaps um, kind of a fresh effort to get everybody's uh, everyone's head, you know, wrapped around this ca- uh, concept of, you know, caffeine as perhaps we should say the gateway drug to doping. Tell us a little bit about what your thinking is. Yeah, well, it's exactly right. We do have a ban on caffeine uh, in competition for the middle school and high school uh, racing. And this has been in existence for a number of years. Uh, Recently, um, there's been some questions raised by uh, some families as to the rationale for it. And so I am um, writing up just a small statement to explain um, the rationale um, for this. And it's pretty simple. And and it um, harks back to a, a quote that Tyler Hamilton 
um, gave the, um, you know, when he said a small decision can lead to a much bigger problem. And I think that's um, relevant here um, for youth. You know, we're dealing with teenagers, some of them brand new to racing. And we all know that caffeine is readily accessible. Coca-Cola, you know, caffeinated drinks are abundant. And we want kids to take a hard um, question um, on anything that they ingest and especially why they're ingesting it. And so if you're a student and you're about to race and you're looking for a quick fix to maybe get a little ahead, to be a little faster and you reach for uh, a soda, then that, that's a, a decision that may lead to um, uh, bigger problems down the road if uh if you you know get a little older and a little more resources and other substances become available to you what's to prevent you from then saying well okay i'll try that and so we want people to really question why they're doing what they're doing and what the motives are for that and that's really fundamentally what's behind this rule that's great i mean i i remember doing some reading uh some years back you know regarding uh, not just doping, but drug use in general and defining, you know, what what we should kind of consider a drug. And I remember coming across a really profound statement, you know, that, you know, anything that's mood altering should be considered a drug, you know, that we should view it all through that lens. And so it's like, oh, so not only. Um, you know, is, is coffee a drug thanks to the caffeine, you know, or highly caffeinated sodas, but refined sugar, you know, eating a candy bar, you know, could be viewed through that lens and should be viewed through that lens. Um, I mean, how many times have I on a long drive pulled over, you know, for some peanut M&Ms and a Mountain Dew? Well, just to get me through the drive. I mean, I know you have young kids. And have you seen the effect of sugar on those children? Oh, uh, man. I, you know, I do all I can to keep it away from them. You right. Know? And uh, I was hopeful that we could get each of them to five before they found out about refined sugar. And right. I lost that one, man. And, so, <laughs> and we all do. I mean, uh, this rule is not saying that you can't have or shouldn't have sugar products or caffeinated products at any time. It's, it's really fundamentally about, you know, what are you ingesting? Why are you ingesting it? And are you ready for the repercussions of whatever you may be ingesting? And, you know, I personally enjoy coffee and I pretty much drink a cup of coffee each day, um, you know, and, and I'm an adult and I'm not doing it to get ahead in competition. Um, and so that's my choice. But for kids, it's really important that we set standards early on so that they um, can really think about what they're doing. And, and we know um, that children are impressionable and will be swayed um, by um, these, these decisions and, and what they see around them. And so if people around them are all taking highly caffeinated products to perform better, um, then we just think that that leads to potentially um, much, much more problematic situations farther down the road. And so that's the reason for this. Uh, and we haven't had problems with it. Actually, some of the companies we work with that make gels um, were very supportive of this rule and went so far as to increase the labeling on their products to make it really clear 
which gels had caffeine and which didn't. Really? And, yeah. And, and, uh, and Cliff Bar and Goo have both done a really good job. Um, those are two companies that we work directly with um, mm-hmm. to identify on the packaging um, no caffeine, or if there is caffeine, how many milligrams are in it? I'm not saying they did that entirely because of us, but um, but we did have conversations a couple of years ago with Cliff to to ask them specifically to make it clearer. And so now their gels do say very clearly on on each package whether or not there's caffeine, and and Goo does the same. So that's helpful because I think a lot of other products it it can be a little hard to know exactly what's in them. Um, unless you bust out the magnifying glass and look at the ingredients. Um, and so we want that to be really clear, uh, and, and that will help people make informed decisions about what, what they're ingesting. What I really like most about this, you know, isn't even so much the rule, but the fact that you're really, you know, urging the kids to think actively and critically about what it is they are ingesting, you know, prior to and during a race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that, you know, will do more to uh, to shape their thinking than, you know, if you were doing urine tests. Yeah, yeah. We're not doing this as a punitive sort of after the fact um, action. It's it's before the the competition and that's where the value is nika's fundamentally our core values are to build strong body mind and character through cycling and so this is an action to help students build strong character and mind by being informed and make is making conscious decisions about what they're ingesting and how they're acting um, on race day and that is a big step forward um, as a youth development organization to help kids grow into young adults that make the best, most informed decisions possible, whether or not they're on a bike, um, but in every walk and avenue of, of their lives. That's what we need to have a strong um, um, society and, and, and citizenry. Um, wow. Terrific stuff. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to the day that my sons are in NICA. Um, yeah. I'm, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to push it down their throats, but, you know, I no. hope that they'll get the bug for it. Well, and and I encourage parents, especially parents that are accomplished and, and hardcore cyclists, like I would call you, to back off on trying to push their kids into cycling. Um, you know, the cyclists that are in their later lives are those that love it for the passion of being out on the bike, touring, and, and you know, and all that comes from going on a bike ride with friends. And so that's what we want to instill in our students is the love of the sport, the mm-hmm. recreation, and, you you know, the tool that a bike is to get around and all that. And so the only way that's going to happen, in my opinion, is to make it fun. And so we de-emphasize the competitive side of it for the youngest riders, because if you push that on the kids, they're going to probably go the other direction. Right. Um, got to be fun. And so the, the middle school participation is all about just getting out with your um, friends and having adults that can take you to appropriate places to ride and really enjoy the sport and grow into it. And whether or not you race will be determined after a couple of years and whether or not you race ultimately is not what we're um, trying to push on students, but hopefully finding the bicycle as a lifelong activity and and that's where the real value and benefits come from down the road. Mm, terrific stuff. 
Yeah. Austin, thanks so much for the take, taking the time to talk to us. Um, yeah. And, uh, dude, I look forward to you getting up here and we can ride together. My pleasure, Patrick. And for any of your followers that want to learn a little bit more about the organization, I encourage you just to visit the website, nationalmtb.org, or follow us on any of the social media platforms, National MTB. And uh, be safe out on the rides. And yeah, I look forward to getting out on the, the roads uh, with you shortly. Great interview with Austin. I always enjoy hearing from him. He is such an inspiring guy doing great things with uh with the nica program um man so uh thanks for getting that interview patrick yeah it was fun to do i mean yeah i'm crazy about austin and you know i honestly believe that what nike is doing will change american society for the better yeah 100 percent agree so yeah two big thumbs up from us for nike let's go on to the news what has been happening this week oh my gosh it's it's been busy so uh just a couple weeks ago I actually had to sign a non-disclosure agreement to get the press release ahead of time. Pinarello released a new Dogma F10. This is a much more aerodynamic uh, frame than previous efforts. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, they probably had some new engineers working on this. This wasn't, you know, Pinarellos have been known for being, you know, kind of beauty plus function. Um, you know, maybe a, a little bit more on the uh, industrial design side than was, you know, strictly functional. Um, sure. But the new F10 is an aero frame, and it was out mere days before a Taiwanese manufacturer claimed patent infringement. So one of the features of this frame is that there's a concave section in the down tube to help shelter the water bottle uh, from the wind to some degree. Um I don't mind saying that a couple of years ago, I reviewed uh, a light speed uh, carbon aero frame that had the same sort of detail to it. Um, but um, there is a, a Taiwanese manufacturer that has said, you stole this from us. Now, I mean, the funny thing to me here is that a Taiwanese manufacturer is claiming to have had an original idea on bicycle design. Um, you know, can we just kind of sit with that for a second? You know, the, the land of, oh, we'll rip that off, uh, that idea off for you. Um, they're claiming that they, uh, actually, you know, that, that that's something that they patented and that, uh, the, the Pinarello design infringes upon it. Um, now what's funniest in all of this is that, uh, Pinarello came back and responded in a really wonderful way and saying, you know, hey, we'd love to take a look at this, you know, do something more than issue a press release, get us a letter, you know, show us some details. We can't really respond to just claims made in the press. Um, so this may just be somebody trying to, to garner some attention uh, for their factory. Um, it's it's hard to know just yet. Um, yeah, but this this company did. Uh, they, they had sent a letter, according to what, what I read is on this, this Taiwanese company had sent a letter to Pinarello before uh, regarding a different bike frame saying, hey, cut it out. And P- Pinarello didn't cut it out. And so now they're saying, hey, we have no choice. I mean, in a way, if if this is something where they had given them fair warning on a previous frame, doesn't that give the claim a little bit more merit? Um. 
Well, I mean, there was nothing litigated that I know of on that previous claim. They just said, oh, we, you know, this thing happened. You know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, show us a paper trail. Show us that it was resolved in some way. I mean, if if the claim was really all that legitimate, you know, um, a really solid claim never makes it to court because you go to them with your lawyers and say, this is what we're going we're gonna to do in court. And they say, okay, we'll settle. Um you know, a, a lesser claim will make it to court, you know? Yeah. This didn't make it to either court or lawyers meeting together. So, I, you know, I'm not holding my breath on this. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. You know, going after Pinarello, really? You think those guys need to steal ideas? Really? Um, so, it seems a bit silly to me. I suspect that Pinarello will prevail, but... um I'm going to be fascinated if that's not how this plays out, you know, and we will report on it if that's not what happens. It will be interesting to see. And I mean, it does bring up the question of, is there an original bike frame idea out there to which I'm sure the answer is, well, absolutely there are, but they are probably pretty few and far between. To come up with anything that you could patent on a road bike frame. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's that's pretty hard at this point. You know, it's one yeah. thing when you're talking mountain bike suspension. Um, people are coming up with sure. all sorts of interesting ideas constantly. Um, and some of them even ride well. Um, but, yeah, a, a, a patentable idea on a road frame, I'm going to view that with a fair amount of skepticism. Fair enough. Well, we will see what happens with this one. What else is going on? So uh, the parent company for Cycling News, Bike Radar, Cycling Plus, and a whole bunch of other uh, outdoor-type titles, um, this is immediate uh, media company, uh, has been sold to uh, Hubert Berda Media, a Munich, Germany-based technology and media company. The entire company has been sold. Um, hmm. Yeah. And, I mean... To give you some idea of how big uh, Hubert Berta Media is, they've got 540 different brands worldwide. They're one of the largest uh, publishers in Germany. Um, you know, and they're more than just a media company. They are also a technology company. Um, just staggering how big this outfit must be um, in an age when it seems like, you know, that sort of acquisition isn't happening as much anymore. A little bit surprising. Um, I believe this is the th- either third or fourth time. It's at least the third time that uh, Cycling News has been uh, sold. So uh, they were, I believe, originally purchased by Future, which sold to Immediate. And now Immediate has sold to Hubert Berta. Um, what would have been more awesome ooh. is if having Future sell it to Immediate, who sold it to the distance past as a company. <laughs> something to, Yesterday to, to continue the, the, the time theme. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Just a thought guys, change your, change your company's name. Yeah. For well, us. Um, it helps with the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> um, having friends at cycling news and bike radar. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the new owner decides they're doing a great job and doesn't mess with anybody's jobs. Um, that's kind of my biggest yeah. concern in all this. You know, it's it's when they decide, yeah. oh, you've got 10% more staffing than you need. Make some people go home. Um, it, it kills morale and, you know, frequently affects the, the editorial product as well. So we're hoping nothing like that happens. Um, 
Amen. Good news. I mean, you and I have both been at have, have both been at uh, publishing companies before. I mean, you, you in a lot of uh, cycling related publishing. I was in computer tech uh, publishing. Uh, specifically, if people cast their minds way back, I uh, was an employee at Q, where I wrote did a lot of writing for productivity titles, which was owned by more companies than I could <laughs> even keep track of. There, there were literally times when I did not know who my parent company was. I mean, we were traded like cards. It was pretty, you know, pretty crazy. So this kind of thing doesn't necessarily mean that their lives are going to change. And like you say, fingers crossed that they don't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, a little piece of good news. Um, so this past year, uh, SRAM released red ETAP. Um, but the biggest cassette that you could put on the back with that, uh, short cage derailleur was a 28. Well, they hmm. now have a new Wi-Fi version of that rear derailleur, and so you can run a 32 in back now. Uh, so the new uh, the new Wi-Fi ETAP derailleur is shipping, um, and uh, mine is on the way. Yay! All right. Yeah, I'm. Well, that's going to be. I'm excited. There's a there's a climb. I think I mentioned right at Thanksgiving uh, near me, uh, Sugarloaf State Park, and the climb at the very top is Bald Mountain. You climb from about 500 feet of elevation um, at the foot of the park up to 2750 at the top of the climb. And there are at least five different pitches north of 20%. The very steepest portion, unpaved, mind you, is 29%. And so trying to get up it, you know, with a 3428 is just not realistic. Um, So I need to call that. I was going to see, you know, what we call that cl- kind of a climb here in Utah. Um, no, but tell me, a cute, we call it a we call it a cute roller. A cute roller. <laughs> yeah, that's a cute roller. Oh my gosh! I'm yeah. just teasing. No, it, twenty twenty percent, man. That's that is hard. But uh, yeah, we got those. Yeah. Uh, we got those. It's it's something. All right. Um, and then uh, one more thing. Um, turns out. Interbike will be staying in Las Vegas for this year. Um, next Yay. year, it's it's up for grabs. They almost moved it to June, but the date is staying in September, and the location is staying at Mandalay Bay. Um, I know everybody wants to see uh, the show move out of Las Vegas. It's funny. I, I seem to be the only person in the media who ever supports uh, the decision to stay in Las Vegas, though I detest that city. Um you know, I mean, there's a, a plenitude of hotels. Um, transportation is super easy. Uh, so if you're flying in from out of town, it's easy to get to your hotel. It's easy to get to the show. Um, and then the other thing is, like, you can get good airfares from anywhere in the country to Las Vegas. And what you will pay for a hotel room in Las Vegas is less than what you would pay in other cities. So... Yeah, I detest the cigarette smoke. I detest the gambling. I detest, um, you know, the the nightclubs, as it were. Um, the so much <laughs> about that city, I just don't like. But I get why they do it. Um, <sighs> it's been years since I've been. We gotta let's go together. We'll walk around. We'll oh hell stuff. yes, that would be fun for us. It'd be less fun for everyone else. But well, that's not really what we're into. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is all about <laughs> us, right? It certainly is. And speaking of all about us, 
Let's go into the paceline picks. Yes. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. <laughs> or at least, I just, at least it is while we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and what are so, you picking this week? I am going to pick something that I've had for, I think, three or four years. And it just occurred to me as I was using it last weekend that this is something that I use all the time. And I and it bears mentioning. Um, a few years ago, and it's not even something I bought. A few years ago, I actually took third in a 25-hour mountain bike race single-speed division. Uh, solo single-speed. I want to make that clear. Did the whole thing myself. The fact that there were only three of us in the solo single speed division is beside the point. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I got to go to the prize table um, and pick something there, and there was this Lazine Porta Shop toolkit, and yeah. I put that in the console of my truck, and I have used it no lie, probably hundreds and hundreds of times, probably a thousand times. I've pulled that out by now. It has a tool for pretty much everything in a tiny little zipped up case. Uh, I've, I keep a, an extra little two ounce bottle of Stan sealant in there, as well as a, uh, a stem a valve stem remover. And with those two things at it, and I think I put in a, a nicer set of tire levers to, you know, give me extra leverage. It is pretty much all I need. And the reason I was thinking about it is because last weekend I was traveling without, I thought, a pedal wrench. And it turns out that thing even has a pedal wrench in it. Oh, yeah. Two little pedal wrenches. It is just a great kit, whether for uh, for your torque stuff, whether for your um, whether for your regular hex stuff. For, it has a couple of different patch kits in it. It's just a great kit. Uh, so look it up. Um uh, let's, I think it's like 120 bucks and it really does have, you know, makes it so you have everything you need. The Lazine Porta Shop Toolkit. Yeah. I've, I've got one for when I'm traveling, uh, with my Earhart. It just lives in that case. And I have, mm-hmm. you know, having that all zipped up, I know that I've got every tool I need for reassembling my bike when I land. Uh, it is yeah. extraordinarily well thought out and occupies a very small amount of space, um, considering. Yeah. About, I would say about six inches by eight inches by about maybe an inch deep, right? It's just a nice zipped up soft nylon case keeps everything in, you know, keeps everything together. Nothing is ever going to fall out cause it's sealed. It's just a great, it's a really well, uh, thought out kit. So good as the yeah. design for a great kit. Yeah. Yeah. So my pick this week is Zevlin handlebar tape, the Z bar tape. Um, this stuff, I, I'm, I don't know what it is with me. I'm always on the lookout for great bar tape. Uh, I want stuff that stays in position and is wide so that I can wrap it pretty thick. Um, and so I got a sample of the Zevlin bar tape uh, recently to uh, to review. Um, mine was stamped all over with little pandas on it, uh, which is Aww. pretty stinking cute. Um, yeah, it is. It's a it's a really wide tape. Uh, it's forty millimeters wide and two millimeters thick. So one of one of wow. the widest, if not the widest tape out there, and then certainly one of the thickest tape. Um, plus, it's um, 
it's got a, a, a polymer finish uh, to it. So unlike some of the spongy tapes where once you get them dirty, you're never getting all that dirt back out. Um, this is a nice smooth finish. Um, so on a gravel bike, like where I put this, um, it's been really easy to clean up and there's enough of a, an adhesive on the underside of the tape that so far it's staying put. Um, so really neat stuff, inexpensive, you know, 1650 for a roll. Um, and, uh, looks like we're going to get some RKP tape done. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So well, can have a little fun with that. That. You are going to be the most highfalutin cyclist in America. Well, you can too. I'll send you some. Oh, fantastic. We will be. That'll be great. We'll be twinners. I look, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So what, what's coming up on RKP uh, in this next Well, week? speaking of toolkits, just yesterday I did the Feedback Sports uh, Team Edition toolkit, which um, is a little more elaborate than what you were talking about with the Lazine mm-hmm. kit. Um, this is, you know, more like, you know, get a proper home mechanic thing set up. But what I like about it is I don't have a traditional shop space the way I once did with a bench and everything. And so I'm able to take that tool case and hang it from the repair stand. Um, so pretty impressive stuff, really complete, uh, great quality tools. Um, yeah, so that went up yesterday. Um, today, a piece, uh, by one of the Blackburn Rangers, uh, is going up, um, Jennifer Schofield. It's a really neat, uh, piece looking back on the big tour that she did down the, uh, California, uh, down the Pacific coast, um, a couple of years ago and our, her subsequent change in careers to being tour guide. Yeah. And then, uh, finally this week, my review of the Scott genius is coming, so I did a Scott Genius uh, last year, or well, year before last. This is the uh, uh, Genius 700 Plus tuned. So they're top of the line suspension, um, Kashima coated, but this takes uh, plus tires or 29 inch wheels. All right, good good stuff to read, and looking forward to seeing uh, seeing that new review come up. Well, I think that actually wraps it up for this episode of the Pace Line. Big it thanks does. to our listeners. Yeah. And you know, one more reminder, subscribe, rate us, review us, all the places that you normally would. For fat, well, for fatty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for whoever I am. For, <laughs> for fatty and for me, Patrick. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. Ow! <laughs>